Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. I'm pumped today. I've got Jesse Strawham on the show. Jesse is an absolute powerhouse. I, I don't actually even really know where to begin in describing her achievements and her vision for her future. Why don't I just start off by saying that Jessie was a former ATV race car driver. She's from North Carolina in the USA. Jessie is the founder of a fitness clothing company. She's also the founder, co-founder of a nonprofit called the Wheel With Me Foundation. She's the veteran of 10 Tough Mudder races. Oh man, that sounds incredible. She's the um, star of a documentary. She's now getting into film and television and her attitude towards life and her tips on achieving life as a wheelchair user are gold. I can't wait to dive into them today. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, so how are you holding up with all the COVID-19 things? Where are you right now? I'm at home. I've been at home since Sunday night late. I got back in and I've decided to cancel all travel for a little bit just until this clears up. I don't want to put myself or my family at risk. I am definitely struggling being out of my daily routine and I miss the gym. <laughs> so where's home for you? I live in Charlotte, North Carolina in the United States. And did you grow up there? What was your upbringing like? I actually grew up in Northeastern Ohio, and when I was 16 years old, my parents moved me to Charlotte for an opportunity to race ATVs. So I grew up racing ATVs in the woods, and I got to do that for four years here. And then we stepped away from the sport, and I began life. So is an ATV, like you're talking about, like a quad bike, that sort of thing? Yeah, like a four-wheeler, yeah. And so <laughs> I'm really curious about that. What's that, what's that um, community like? What was, what was it like racing those things? Oh, it's amazing. I did it for around 10 years. And then actually after I got injured, Polaris uh, helped me out. And I had a single seat side by side that I got to continue to race for three years. And it, they had adapted it with hand controls. And there's honestly no feeling like flying through the woods. You have trees passing you at a high speed. And then the community, it's just like the wheelchair community. Everybody is family, essentially. I remember, you know, seeing Return of the Jedi and and those, um, you know, those uh, flying bike things. Um, what are they, Mandalorians? Is that what they're called? Is that what they're called? Uh, anyway. I've never seen Star Wars, Harry oh. Potter, Star Trek or any. I don't. I honestly don't even have a TV in my room. I don't watch TV. <laughs> uh, no, fair enough. We don't either. But, um, well, I, I think... Uh, I think you should watch Return of the Jedi at least to see um, this the scene through the woods of um, uh, and it's, it reminds me I guess anytime I'm like skiing through trees or riding a mountain bike through trees it reminds me of, of that and it's just this kind of like high speed your senses are just like you know that you're so in tune you have to be really on your game and um, you know it's you you really get a sense of how fast you're moving because you've got these objects that are so close to you um, that are that are moving super fast past you right it's very similar to that exactly and it's the adrenaline rush we love that rush right the 
Absolutely. And I know that there's a lot of people that um, have spinal cord injuries that actually, uh, you know, have used quad bikes um, for recreation. It seems like quite a good vehicle to do so, right? It really is. As long as you're smart about it, you know, a lot of people like to push the limits and safety is kind of the number one thing because our legs don't work the way that they used to. And so, you know, as long as people are smart about it, they typically could have a good time. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Um, there's a number of, uh, actually a number of people that have ended up uh, with spinal cord injury as a result of um, predominantly uh, farm, farm-related farm accidents on quad bikes. And um, I have a, you know, a lot of friends uh, that raced motocross on a dirt bike, and that's the reason that they're paralyzed. Yeah, and funny enough, a lot of them get back on the dirt bike and, and uh, you know, I know I keep doing what they there. love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, you gotta, you can't stop living, right? You gotta keep. It's that adrenaline rush. I think we have this, this thing where, you know, I know my first probably two years of my injury, I was, I felt like I was untouchable, and so I would do things that just push the limits past what they should have been pushed. And my mom's like, "Dude, you're not invincible. Relax. Like, you need to chill out." <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because a lot of, uh, you know, I guess a lot of people are really afraid of hurting themselves again. And so you, you had this sort of opposite um, mindset, right? Right. I was like, you know what? I'm untouchable. I'm already paralyzed. How much worse could it get? And I just started <laughs> living life. <laughs> and, it's, and then I, I changed that whole mindset because it's not even a bad life to live. I'm actually really grateful for my injury. Hey, so tell us a little bit about your injury and, and how you ended up a part of this community of ours. So in 2015, I was a passenger on a street bike and a woman made a U-turn in front of us. The driver went through her back window, broke his leg. I flew over her SUV, broke my back at T4 and T7, and I my ribs punctured my lungs, and I have a traumatic brain injury, and I coded twice and was resuscitated. So I feel really grateful to be alive, and I actually live each day with that mindset. I spoke with Jeremy McGee, who had a similar um, motorcycle crash, and um, he was you know lying on the ground afterwards, and, and he had... Um, He'd done some paramedic training, so he could recognize the symptoms of what was happening to him then and there. You know, he said he felt cold and, um, you know, he, he, he just wanted to go to sleep and he felt at peace. And so he realized that he was, you know, going into shock and he was losing a lot of blood and all those sort of things. So, you know, you, you said you had a traumatic brain injury. So were you, you knocked down unconscious? Um, were you, um, you know, conscious, you know, while um, you're sort of lying on the ground? What, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind if you were conscious? And if you weren't, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind when you did become conscious? The last thing I remember is metal crunching, and I actually woke up two days later in the hospital. So I, I lost a couple of days, and I just remember when I did wake up, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I, I saw Grandma Boyce, and you know, she told me it wasn't my time and that she couldn't come with me, and I couldn't stay with her, but I, I had things to do and people to get back to. And I was actually saved the day before my injury, and I had went to a funeral, and while the pastor was speaking, I just felt this calmness come over me. And then the next day, my accident happens, and I felt I had always felt that there was no coincidence in that. And then my grandmother comes to me as well, and so like I kind of hold on to that. And that's what when I'm feeling like I don't have faith in whatever it is, a higher power, God, the universe, source, whatever people believe in. When I feel like I don't have faith, 
I always go back to that and I'm like, you know, I do have a purpose. There is a reason that I'm here. And that kind of is my driving force behind everything I do. Jesse, have you ever had any other moments like that in your life where you've felt this higher sort of presence, um, you know, in, in a situation that you needed some guidance? Uh, actually, after I really started my self-work, so two years into my injury, I changed my physical and mental diet. And the mental diet's been key. I'm very conscious about what I think, what I put out, and what I take in. And recently, I, I had this moment where I was just so frustrated. I'm like, I'm in traffic. I have to go to the airport. I hate TSA. I don't want to fly. And then I had this moment of like, wow, why am I complaining? I get to do these things. And it was like traffic was lifted and moved. And I'm just like, I, I felt so much gratitude in that moment. And this happens to me so often. If I drive with the radio off and I just start thinking about how lucky I am to get to live the life I live, I'll just start, I have this overwhelming feeling of gratitude and I start to cry. And I just, that's, I feel it in that moment that I, I there is a higher presence and there is something there that's guiding me and pushing me to do all of these things. Did you always have this mindset? So before your accident, what, what was your, yeah, what, what, what was your mindset like? Like, were you a calm person? Were you, you know, did you have the mental strength to get through something like this? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I was a 22 year old party animal. I, I love the fast life and I, I definitely partied hard. I, I worked for a orthodontist on the weekdays worked in a restaurant on the weekends and I was fully engulfed in that restaurant lifestyle. And my accidents, I believe, saved me from myself. It made me recognize what's important in life. It gave me my faith and it really gave me a sense of perspective. And it took me two years into my injury to really change my lifestyle, to quit drinking, to quit partying every night, to quit going to clubs, to quit partaking in recreational drugs. You know, I don't, the only thing I use, I don't even use pharmaceuticals except for bladder spasm medicine. And then I, I use cannabis and that's it. I don't, it really, it changed my entire approach to life and my views. It opened my mind to different things. It opened my mind that doctors don't always know what's best for us. And a lot of times they're very quick to push these pills on you rather than actually finding the source of the problem. And so it, it just really changed my perspective all around on life. And it made me focus more on what I have rather than what I'm lacking. And I just, I practice gratitude every single day. That's the single most important thing my injuries given me. So within those first two years, you must have faced some really, really tough, dark moments, right? How did you, um, how did you get through one of those? Could you describe it? Early in my injury, I had a point where I... I just wanted to die. And I, I, I've never, I can't even describe. It was like, I just, I felt that I needed to die. And I had a 22 rifle and I'll never forget. I gave it to my dad and I said, Hey, I need you to take this before I make a decision that I can't take back. Cause my biggest fear was I would mess up and give myself a worse brain injury. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> okay, I need to, you know, I, and I just was very rational in that moment. And if it wasn't for the solid support system I had, I, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Not a chance. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I have a ridiculously strong family support. Not only my parents and my sister, but my aunts, my uncles, my, and 
my friends, my close group of friends. I mean, my closest friends were guys and I would pee myself and I needed help pulling my pull up that up and like pulling the dirty one from underneath of me. And my guy friends had no problem helping me. And I think having people that were accepting of my new life that were there in my previous life was very, very helpful. And look, no, no, not everyone has that, right? I mean, I was very fortunate to have that support network. What advice would you give to those people out there that don't have that support? Get on Facebook and join as many SCI support groups as you can. Start networking. Find somebody that you have similar interests with and connect with them. My clo- my best friend uses a wheelchair, and I met her in a support group. And she gave me her address. We had been Snapchatting for probably six months prior to that. And we had FaceTimed a couple times and she gives me her address and I drove the 36 hours from North Carolina to Arizona to go meet her. Her fiance is freaking out that she gave some stranger on the internet (laughs) her address. And I drove out there. I stayed there for three weeks and we've been best friends since. I mean, we visit each other typically twice to four times a year. That's when I'm going through something, that's who I call. When she's going through something, I'm who she calls. And it's like, there's no better way to overcome the struggles this injury gives you other than having support. There's nothing like calling your best friend and saying, hey girl, you're not gonna believe the day I had. I just shit myself and it's all over my car. It's all over my chair. It's a mess. (laughs) And having that freedom to be able to call somebody and say that and then go, girl, I did that last week. I don't know what I had. I ate something. And it's like (laughs) that understanding is irreplaceable. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I was was thinking about a time where something similar happened to me. And um, I I basically was, I bent over in my wheelchair to pick something up and I just did this huge amount of poo and it went right out the back of my, (laughs) back of my wheelchair. It was, it was like I was a cow that was doing poos down. And it dropped on the ground. And it dropped on the ground. In my, in my living room, my, my wife and my son were just horrified that what they had just witnessed. So, yeah, it, that's only ever happened that one time. But, um, man, that was, that was bad. Um, and, and we laugh about it now, but it was – it was oh, In that it's, moment, it's terrible, oh, absolutely. So traumatic. Um, yeah, pretty awful. But there's nothing like being able to call somebody that understands that and being able to laugh with them about it. It helps you get over the struggles because you know that you're not alone and it helps you to focus on the other things this injury has to offer. This injury has so much good to offer you once you let go of the things that it's taken away as far as your mobility and bowel and bladder. Okay, well, let's let's get into it. What are some of the things you found that are, that are really good for you? So regardless of if you do anything inspirational or not, able-bodied people think you're an inspiration because if they were in your situation, they don't think that they could continue on. And so this opens up the platform for motivational speaking. You All you have to do is share your story and share how you go and live your daily life. You create this nice little wrapped up story, 15 to 20 minutes, contact different companies, contact local schools, say, hey, I would like to come in, speak, give them you know, a lower speaking fee if you're starting. Boom. All of a sudden, you're a motivational speaker and you're helping people and changing lives. Uh, the opportunity, you know, it's out there. We just have to take the risk. The YouTube series. I mean, 
you could share your life on YouTube, social media. You could become a social media influencer. There's so many people that go back to their regular job. There's people that drive excavators. That's uh, There's a guy that runs Spinecore Foundation. He still makes wood furniture, custom furniture. Uh, there's a girl that still does hair from the chair. I mean, there's so much that you can still do if you're willing to open up your mind and rethink the way that you thought before. You just have to approach these obstacles a little different than you would have when you had full mobility and full bowel bladder control. Yeah, totally. What about some of the obstacles that people face um, when, let's just say, they're applying for a job or they're out dating or um, you know they're faced with an access challenge? What are some tips you've got uh, on those fronts? The key is confidence. You know, if people are going to approach you by the way that you approach them. And the biggest thing is you've got to put out that vibe of I'm not in a wheelchair. I mean, realistically you are, but if you don't make that the main focus that people mm. see about you, it won't be the main focus they see. For me, I'm Jesse. I'm a business owner. I run a nonprofit. I'm a student and I'm a badass individual. And that's what I want people to feel when they meet me. And that's the vibe I'm putting out. I want people to feel that through their soul. So if you have this vibe that, oh, I'm, I can't do this and I, I'm just not happy where I'm at and mm. I'm not really confident in my situation, then that's what people are going to pick up. And nobody wants to be around that. Mm. People, you've got to put what people want to be around. They want to be around positivity, happiness. And I'm not saying that you're not allowed to feel sad, but you're not allowed to live in that place because there's no life to be lived there. Yes, so, so right. Uh, the, the amount of times that my wife, uh, Kirsten, she comments when she sees um, wheelchair users out there, she says, oh, man, they look really, you know, they, they dress poorly. They haven't, they look really scruffy. They're sort of slouched down, you know. And she says, when I see you, I don't even see the wheelchair. I just, you know, sometimes I forget to even help you get the wheelchair out of the back of the car if we're traveling together. Right. And, uh, you know, you just, you know, you present well, you, you know, you're, you're smiling and totally what you, what you put out, uh, you're going to receive back, right? So it seems, you know, it seems hard to do if you're in this dark place you know you're in this place of unhappiness but if you even can just try and switch that around in some way um then what will come back to you will um will will help uh, drive uh, drive the change and positivity that you want to see right a big key to switching that script and really changing it is letting go of judgment and that doesn't only mean letting go of judgment of others so if you pee yourself nobody's going to judge you for that. They understand there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's out of your control. And as soon as we let go of judgment of ourselves and what we think that we should be, the sooner that we can come to acceptance of what's out of our control and find ways to move on from it and not let that control our happiness. What else uh, can you let go of to help you, um, uh, you know, uh, move forward? For me, I I really, I went and saw a therapist and I wish I didn't wait four years into my injury to do that because we had, uh, I went for four months. I went once a week for four months and 
every single week I cried, but I let something go that I didn't realize I was even holding on to. Mm. And it's like my, my lack of progress in my recovery, the lack of consistency in my recovery, the fact that I just, my life changed so quickly and I, I didn't have the mindset that I had before. And then I feel like I wasted so much time and it was just this really long progression of going through the things that I was really holding against myself. And I had to let all of that go. And as soon as I let go of all these things that I couldn't change and that were out of my control, I felt this relief and I was able to be happy. I allowed myself to be happy. I didn't realize it, but I was stopping myself from achieving a happy life. And so now rather than focusing on what I'm not getting back or what I'm not feeling, I focus on just living the happiest, healthiest version of me. And what comes with that comes with that. I've got another thing that helped me was uh, kind of forgiving the person that was involved in my accident. So, you know, uh, a, a woman was driving a car and she cut a corner and and hit me. And right from the very beginning, I actually felt I felt really sorry for her. I felt like, oh man, she must be feeling terrible. I never heard from her again. But uh, I, it was an underlying part of that that. I wasn't admitting to that I that I kind of held her quite responsible for it. I wasn't forgiving her, and the longer I held on to that, the more I, uh, the more it sort of just dragged me down, right? So, um, by by accepting that I had a part to play in in the accident, and that it was an accident, you know, she didn't do it intentionally, um, enabled me to just sort of let that part of it go. But you know, I meet some people that are just so resentful of of um, a third party that was contributing to their situation and I think man you've got you gotta let that go otherwise it's just gonna drag you down yeah because at the end of the day you know the guy that I was hurt with I think he he had a bike before I was even out of the hospital and I held on to that for a while and I was just so mad but then I you know you look at the big picture I, I am better off than he is right now. I, I've, I've learned to live with this and I'm, I'm grateful for my injury. I've, I'm at this place where it's like, I'm really glad that this has happened to me. And I was able to forgive him and move forward from it. And I think there's so much power in that in itself, because as soon as you forgive that other person, you can forgive yourself as well for holding that, that anger and that grudge for so long. Because at the end of the day, when you're, you're expressing all this anger, you're just bringing yourself down. It's not doing anything to that person. Totally true. Uh, Jesse, how important is your physical health to you? And what are some things, what are some routines that you practice? <laughs> My physical health is number one. So I actually, when I'm not quarantined, <laughs> I go to the gym every single morning before class. And I think it's just crucial that we take care of ourselves. We have to schedule the time. I don't care if you say there's no time in your day, your time's prioritized. And I prioritize time for my physical health it is the single most important thing for not only my appearance and, you know, my, my body's physical health, but my mental health. I've noticed since I've been on my routine, I've been feeling in this dark place and feeling out of control of my life. And I couldn't figure out why. And then this morning, I'm like, man, I've really got to work out how long it's been. Oh, wow. It's, it's been five days. That's probably why I'm feeling so down. So what sort of, um, what sort of exercises do you do? What, what does your workout look like? Uh, very functional focus. So when I have a gym available, I use the ski erg. 
I do a lot of core work. I started as a T4 injury and since I've been able to get a little bit of core back. So I try to build that as much as possible. Uh, some days I get my leg braces, walk around. I do a lot of tall kneeling, crawling, uh, do some bicep work because we do, we use so much of our triceps that they're overdeveloped and our biceps typically are underdeveloped. So I do a lot of that. Um, and a lot, a lot, a lot of shoulder therapy that's in every single exercise. I do eyes, Y's and T's every other day and resistance band stuff every other day. So that sounds really thorough. And, um, <laughs> I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling slightly, um, like I need to up my game, but actually I, I, I had a physio teach me some shoulder exercises to balance my shoulders. And I must admit, it's really hard to stick to it. Or at least I, I tell myself it's hard to do that. What, 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 how do you, I mean, obviously you're really aware of the importance of your physical um, well-being and, and the impact that has on your mental well-being. What, what other you know, uh, ways um, would help a person stick to their exercises? Think about your health or think about you 10, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. I was 22 when I was injured. I will be 28 in June and I plan on living, you know, until I'm 70. And if I don't take care of myself now, how is my, how am I going to look? How is my health going to look? How's my body going to look? What am I going to be struggling with in 10 years, 15 years? I'm, I'm five years into my injury and already having shoulder issues. You know, it's, it's something to, you've got to think about your future self. And we often are so worried about everyone else around us. We forget to take care of the one person that's the most important person in our life. And that's us. You've got to take care of you to be able to help everyone around you. Because if you're not healthy, you can't do anything for anyone else. And that really is the driving factor for me. If I don't take care of me now, I can't help anyone in the future. And that's what creates my accountability. And you really, no one cares at the end of the day, what you do in your life. They don't care if you go to the gym. They don't care if you eat well. They don't care if you get out of bed. So you have to be the one to care about you. Mm. Yeah, looking ahead many years into the future is valuable um, way of thinking. I know several um, quads and, and paras that have really poor shoulder health and, and, you know, their life is, you know, they've been forced out of manual wheelchair into power wheelchairs. And, um, you know, they, the advice they said was, gee, I wish I'd taken better care of my shoulders. So, um, yeah, it's good. That's good advice and power to you for, um, for being so diligent in doing that. Um, you'll, you know, benefit from that uh, for you the years to come. You have to be proactive in your own health. So not only do I, you know, do the upper body exercises, I take care of my lower body too. I, I try to get in the pool. I do have a, a small fear of water and I'm trying to work to get over that to swim better. I use an electric stimulation suit that I sleep in. It's a pair of shorts, similar to the FES bike, except for this thing can come with you everywhere. And I sleep in it. I try to get in my standing frame at least 30 minutes to two hours every day. I get my leg braces and walk regularly. I'm very proactive at keeping my lower body healthy. I stretch. I make sure that I'm not getting contractures. I'm trying my best to maintain my bone density. I take the calcium supplement. I, you know, you've got to be proactive in your health. Medical professionals don't understand a spinal cord injury because each one is so different. And so they only can give you 
the outline of what they know. They don't know every single detail of it. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to pay attention to your body. You've got to pay attention to your health. Something that helps to hold me accountable is I actually document when I work out. And so I put it into the note. I put the date. I put what I did. And that way I can go back and see where I'm increasing weight, where I'm increasing time or decreasing time. And it really shows your improvement and it creates accountability. Journaling is the most important thing I do. Keeping a planner and journaling. I let myself know what I did. I tell myself what I'm proud of myself for doing. I write down what I'm grateful for. And I write down how I'm going to be able to move forward and what I'm going to continue to work on. Oh, that's so good. Uh, I need to pick up the journal again. I used to write um, when I was traveling uh, and going on climbing expeditions. I used to write a diary and um, it was a great way to, um, you know, to sort of document so you could look back. But it it was a good way to actually try and make sense of what you're feeling at the time and to sort of process, um, you know, some pretty complex emotions. You know, I had, <laughs> I had a friend that, um, you know, had, a, had an accident on a climbing um, expedition. He, um, you know, busted his back up and it was, you know, we we're both lucky to survive. And, and to be able to write about that afterwards um, in, in the journal was, you know, really helped me come to, come to cope with it and come to make sense of it all. Um, yeah, same thing following my accident. I wrote, I wrote my thoughts down, actually shared them on a blog. And, um, yeah, I found that incredibly, incredibly helpful. And, you know, a big thing about journaling and I hate to point out men, but especially with men, you don't want to face those emotions. Like you said, they're very powerful emotions. And so you, you don't want to come to terms with those. You don't want to come face to face with them and say, this is how I'm feeling. And I need to move forward from this. And it's, that's powerful in itself, being able to face, this is how I'm feeling, and then acknowledge, okay, I can move forward from this. It's That's powerful. And if more people would in, incorporate that, I think we, we'd have a lot more people adapting to this injury a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Hey, so the gym exercise, uh, on the gym exercise front, that's sort of not the only um, physical exercise you've, you've done. I see you've had a Tough Mudder experience. What was that like? I've done 10 Tough Mudders, including World's Toughest Mudder twice, which is their 24-hour event. And it's it's powerful, too, because you're giving, you know, you work so hard for your independence. And for four to eight hours, you're giving it up completely. And you're relying on a, a group of able-bodied people that we, luckily, I've done a lot of Tough Mudders with them, so they know how to handle me, know what to look for. But you've got to communicate with them. You've got to tell them how you're feeling, where you're at, what you need. And it really kind wow. of humbles you. It's a humbling experience, and it's a very powerful experience for the able-bodied people that are helping you. So then we go to the 24-hour event, and we're literally on course for 28 hours. And both times, I actually went hypothermic, had to strip completely down, do body to body to warm my core temperature back up. And the first year I kind of gave up mentally. And the second year, my team gave up mentally and I was ready to go back out at midnight. And I was just, it's, <laughs> it creates this thing though, where you're just so proud of yourself and you're recognizing growth. I recommend everyone try an OCR race. Um, here in North Carolina, we actually have an organization called more heart than scars. That's where I started my OCR experiences and they, it's a fully trained team. They've done it with, I think 10 adaptive athletes, wheelchair adaptive athletes now. 
and they're very, very safe. There's harness systems. They've helped quadriplegics go out and paraplegics, uh, someone with spina bifida even. So it really, there's so much opportunity out there for us to try different sports and you just have to research it and find it and talk to people in the community. And that's how you, you find all these amazing activities. <laughs> amusing. I'm not sure that's one way to, I mean, that's one way to describe it, but, uh, I, I would say, uh, torture, pain, suffering, um, laughing though, too, I guess. And, um, and you know, geez, the hypothermic, Whoa, that's, that's, that's intense. Um, so when I would go four hours on course, I wouldn't put a Foley. Typically, I use a Foley cap. But in the begin- like during the day, I wouldn't use a Foley. And so there one time a guy showed up for my team, and he was wearing swim trunks. And I said, why are you wearing swim trunks? He said, because water sports. And he was talking about when he piggybacks <laughs> me, and I pee on him. <laughs> oh, man. How do you how do you go about finding some people to do this with? I just so it started with More Heart Than Scars, uh, which is the organization here. Okay, and they I met somebody through there, and Sarah and I immediately clicked, and she became my team captain, and she helped me build a team for each race, and then I would use one member from the team for each race I did, at least one member. Sometimes there was more, um, and then for the twenty four hour event, I had all my team members. But there was one event where I had all these people that had never even done a Tough Mudder with an adaptive athlete. So I had to train them on what to do. So how do you prepare for it? Like, is there, you know, like obviously skin protection is a thing, right? Um, uh, and, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, yeah, going, uh, you know, emptying your bladder, things like that? Uh, so I use a Foley catheter. Now I'm very lucky to have a sponsorship with my catheter company, which if you decide to do one, reach out to your catheter company and see if they'll sponsor a Foley for you. It's a game changer to be able just to have the bag and drain the bag everywhere you go, especially because you're trying to stay hydrated during this race. So I'm, I'm drinking gallons of water while mm. I'm doing this. And, um, I so actually ordinarily wear... you use an intermittent catheter, right? And then for this, you, you yes. insert the Foley catheter. So it's there. You don't. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause usually I just intermittent cath, right? So a Foley and... catheter for those listening is one that's permanently indwelling, you know, you inflate a, um, a balloon, kind of like a balloon and, and it keeps the catheter inside your bladder. You then attach the tube to a leg bag. Um, and then you can just empty the leg bag. Um, rather than having to insert a, a, a new catheter and like, you know, you're covered in mud, right? So be very, right. very, very tricky. Um, so the leg bag to protect it, I would actually, you know, a rope bag, a dry bag you would use for climbing. Mm-hmm. I would put it in there. So that way the leg bag wouldn't get damaged while we were going through all these muddy obstacles and I'm dragging my body through stuff. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then I would put it in either the day of or the night before, and then I take it out the day after because I'm hydrating so much. And so I'm letting my bladder clear. And then typically I would pee a little bit of blood after the race um, towards the end, especially a 24-hour race or an eight-hour race. Mm. I would My kidneys, I guess, I'm not sure if it was the Foley or my kidneys, but I would want to clear all that out so I wouldn't get a UTI. And then to protect my skin on a cold race day, I would wear a five millimeter wetsuit, a full wetsuit. Mm. On a warm race day, I would wear a three millimeter shorty, so the shorts wetsuit. 
And that's just, you know, that extra padding to protect your butt, your legs, um, always wear leggings. My legs would never be exposed and you just go, you send it. It's a really good time. <laughs> so what, what, talk us through, what are you doing? You're, you're kind of like crawling, uh, you know, through obstacles under, under nets, you're, um, using your wheelchair with a, with like right. a so, free wheel or something or like, no, no, no. I, uh, I applied for a grant for um, the Kelly Brush Foundation here in the States. Mm. And they approved me for an off-road chair, a box wheelchair, which if anyone wants to do an OCR, I do have a chair and I will let people use it that's local just mm. because, you know, some people don't have accessibility to the equipment. And that's the whole reason I applied for the grant to get it was because I wanted to help others get out in nature. Mm. And so I have this off-road chair and I have somebody harnessed to the front dragging me and I'm pushing the wheels. And then I have somebody behind me making sure we don't tip over. And then we have people that are on the sides just in case we're through an off camber weird section and we just send it, we send it through the mud. Uh, you're going through mud Creek beds, then there's obstacles. So there's one called mud mile where it's mounds and then big deep pits of water. And so I would ride piggyback on somebody over the mound and then I would slide down the hill and then somebody would catch me in the water, swim across with me on their back. And then we'd get pulled back up the, or I'd ride somebody's piggyback up the next mound and then slide back down. And it was a series of five of those. Um, there's one called Everest where I would pull myself up a rope to the top and I would be, I use a harness. And so we would be belayed in just in case I needed help. Mm. Um, there's ladders and I rode piggyback on, there's only one person I would ride piggyback up ladder on. And that's my, my workhorse, Eric, he's unreal. And we'd ride piggyback all the way up to the top and down. Um, he's piggybacked me up like a half a mile long mountain. And it, you know, it's taxing to hold on to somebody when you can't grip with your legs. And then it's taxing mm -hmm. on them to have this dead weight on their backs. They're having to hold my legs. And it's an amazing, it's a, like I said, a very powerful experience because you don't realize how strong you truly are. And so like the obstacles where I would be dangling, like there's one called funky monkey and they have water pits under them. I would swim laps in the water pit to make up for the fact I couldn't do the obstacle. Got you. Okay. So you can make concessions. Uh, right. They would let me adapt it because there was another wheelchair user, Tyson, who actually started before me and we were able to do one together, which was really cool. Oh man. I was just thinking about that image of you being piggybacked by Eric up a, a ladder or a, up a half a mile mountain. That's Well, he's done a 24 hour one with me in addition to a couple <sighs> eight hour ones with me and then the regular course. So he has probably you know, at least 10 to 15 miles, more than that, of piggybacking me. <laughs> Tim, Tim Cox is my business partner. Tim, if you're listening to this, you know, Tim has to, <laughs> he, he um, carries me up a flight of stairs to, uh, to the office that we work from. And, um, you know, by the time, and, and we're talking maybe 20 steps, and by the time he gets to the top, he's, he's puffing and he's, <laughs> he's quite relieved to drop me off on the sofa that's up there. And, and I'm relieved too, because it does, like you said, it takes effort to hang on. But, um, but to, to carry up, I would, there's no way I'd trust you, Tim, sorry, to take, take me up a ladder or, or a half a mile <laughs> up a mountain. Um, so you've got some work to do, buddy. I think you should do some training. But, I'll um, send you Eric's profile. And when you see him, you're going to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. He literally wanted to get me um, <laughs> one of those um, 
tandem parachute harnesses so that he could piggyback me up Mount Rainier. <laughs> oh, wow. Seriously? Okay. Yeah, he, he must be an ox. He must be an ox. Oh, he, he, it's unreal. He's unreal. He's like my fitness inspiration every single day. I'm like, E, I want to look half as good as you do at your age. <laughs> That's so good. Hey, so how important is it to set goals and how do, how do you set goals and how do you recommend other people set goals? Oh, goals are the most important thing. I I actually do a goal setting workshop with people where we dive deep into your goals, into your fears, and uh, really work on overcoming all of that and setting up a plan. I think having a plan is one of the most important things that you could do. It's just being prepared. And so for me, I have a whiteboard in my room and on the whiteboard, I forget who the person is that said to do this, but you, I have my big goal at the top and then underneath of it, I have very small steps that I can take to get to it and they're written on sticky notes. So then when I complete it, I peel the sticky note and I put it in a container. At the end of the month, I count how many sticky notes are in that container and if I have more than 50, I reward myself. So I've created this reward system and it really pushes me to continue to reach goals and try and get more than 50 into that tub. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of different ways to set goals and to reward yourself. I really like that. Um, something physical that you can you can see it's right there um, every day. You know, there's no there's no walking uh, rolling past it. You have to um, sort of pay attention to it. And the reward too is good. What sort of rewards would you give yourself? Oh, I give myself spa days, like a full spa day. I get my legs waxed completely and I get my <laughs> nails done. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's cool. That's cool. I suppose that's... <laughs> That'd be, that'd be motivation. That, would, that wouldn't motivate me, but um, but I, I'll just have a think about what I what I what would yeah. Take like, yourself to a nice dinner, you know, like treat treat yourself <clears> to something. Is the point at the end of the day, like your reward should be something that treats yourself. Get a massage, mm. have a spa day for yourself. Go float in a float tank, do a sauna, and get a massage. Like mm. that's we have to reward ourselves for our accomplishments. So at the end of the month, when I'm counting out of that bin, I'm also rereading them and I'm reflecting on my accomplishments from the month. So I actually set aside 10 minutes at the end of each month to do this. That way I'm really celebrating all of these wins throughout the month because you, you do something and you often forget. And it's like, wow, I completed this small step to my bigger goal. It's so brilliant. Uh, Jesse, you filmed the documentary called Adapt. Um, what did you learn during that? Oh, that was such a cool experience. So I actually am very fortunate that fitness clothing company I am becoming that recorded that they gave me a remote job and they actually gave another wheel friend of mine a remote job as well. So we're both customer service representatives for that company. And while recording it, it was a really cool experience to get to just share my raw, honest life. Like this, these are my emotions. This is what I'm going through. This is what my life looks like. And this is real. And there's something very, very powerful in being able to be a hundred percent you unapologetically. So what, what was particularly good about being able to do that? Was it because you could show other people that it was okay to feel like that? Um, you know, was it a, a way to share your knowledge? Um, was it just cathartic for yourself? Like what was the benefit to you in being able to do that? 
I felt it was really cool to be able to share that piece of my story between the Tough mutter, my recovery, and just me living life. I think it was it was a cool opportunity to get to be able to put that out there and help people with that. I think that's something that I'm most grateful for is I get to help people with me just living my life to be the happiest version of me. And that's helping people. It, it's amazing to get to live the life that you want to live and get to help people on top of that. That's the most important thing to me is if I can impact one person and help them overcome something in their life, then my job is done. Such a such a great mindset. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Um, tell us a bit about the Wheel with Me Foundation. What drove you to set that up? So I, when I was racing off road, I had partnered with a clothing company, and they let me create a couple of items. And we were trying to find a nonprofit to donate some of the proceeds to. And I wanted to find a nonprofit that really focused on people's independence and creating contributing members of community. And I couldn't find anything like that at the time. So my co-founder said, well, why don't we create our own nonprofit? And I'm like, well, I want people to wheel with me because <laughs> my, my best friends ride dirt bikes and they're always like, ride with me, ride with me. And I'm like, man, I don't ride, but you can wheel with me. And that's how it, <laughs> it kind of came, came to life. And it, it's turned into, I get to travel. I go to different cities and I host meetups. And the goal of the meetup is to bring community awareness that wheelchair users still live life and to bring community to the local wheelchair population in whatever city we go to. Um, I'm working on our biggest goal is building a transitional community to integrate spinal cord injury survivors back into an independent community after their injury. In the United States, there's 51% of our population that relies on some type of government assistance for their independence. And if we can get people to get over the fear of not having disability and not having Medicare benefits and getting them over that fear of not being able to succeed and showing them that they can do whatever they want when they look fear down and overcome it. Mm. I, I just want to create powerful individuals because we, we have so much opportunity from this wheelchair. I have more opportunity as a wheelchair user than I ever did able-bodied. And I want to help others recognize that as well. Mm. Well, wow, So I also... I created a fitness clothing company. That's what I, I released at the beginning of this year. I have a, a fitness clothing line. And so we have three different sets. It's crop tops and high-waisted leggings. And then I also have hoodies and t-shirts. But I took a risk. I put all, all my speaking money from last year went into the, this fitness clothing line. And I took a huge risk. And But I'm like, this is something I'm passionate about and I'm going after it. And I think that if I can be completely raw and honest about that, I can help inspire someone else to take the risk and start the business that they want to start and go after it. Yeah, it sucks. I lost my prescription drug benefits at the beginning of this year. I have changed bladder spasm meds and hopefully I don't start peeing myself. But at the end of the day, I don't want to live in the confines of what disability has set me up for. I don't want to live in poverty my whole life. Hey, so tell me what goes through your mind when you're evaluating whether or not to proceed with that uh, fitness clothing company. You know, what what things do you think about that that make you decide to go for it versus, well, actually, it is too risky. Is it just typical business savvy? Is it, um, you know, business cases? Is it um, gut feeling? Is it just a, um, is it looking at what the downside might be and just being willing to accept that? Or is it a combination of all of them? 
So last year I started a business and, uh, of course, when I, when I initially did this, I'm like, wow, what if the quality is not there? What if people don't buy it? What if people don't like what I like? And at the end of the day, I looked at it like, you know what, worst case scenario, I just donate it all and write it up as a loss and it is what it is. And it didn't work out. That is the worst case scenario is that it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Why am I scared of the best case scenario? What if it does work out? My biggest thing that I preach is focusing on the positives and our negatives. So my spinal cord injury, you know, I focus on all of the things it's given me, all the opportunities that are there, all the relationships I've made from it Mm. rather than what it's taken away. Same thing with taking this risk. I'm focusing on, well, my girl, my close girlfriends that have bought the outfits, they look banging in it. Their butts look amazing. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, my friends look good. So, and I'm like, oh, I, you know, I have two outfits now. So like, I'm like, oh, I got cute (laughs) outfits too. And I really, I just, I look at the positive of it. If people don't like what I have to offer, it is what it is. At the end of the day, not everyone is going to like you and like what you're doing. And that's fine. You don't have to, you're not here to please everyone else. You're here to make you happy. And starting the business and designing the clothes and putting the logo on things and rocking these cute outfits, that makes me happy. I'm enjoying it. And so that's why I just do what makes me happy. It's not even risk reward, anything like that. It's just at the end of the day, what makes me happy and what's filling my cup. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I've every, every reason to believe that you will be uh, super successful and whatever that success looks like to you. You know, if, if you you know, your friends um, butts look great in it and that's success <laughs> to you, but that's success, you know, that's so awesome. We have to take risks. That's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, we have to take risks. I am, um, Back in December, I actually went to an open audition at a talent agency. I was the only person with a visible disability in the room. Mm. I'm surrounded by beautiful women, beautiful men. And I'm just sitting in my wheelchair like, I've never done this before, but I'm going to wing it. And I, my friend Amber, I went with my friend Amber is the one who's like, you should take this risk. You should do it. And Amber's this gorgeous race car driver. And I'm like, okay, Amber, I'm coming. And so she comes back out from her audition. She said, Hey, if she asks you what a slate is, make sure you say your name, age, and location. And so I go in first thing this woman asked me is a slate. And I was able to say it cause Amber primed mm. me for it. And then I, I did this audition and I get a call back and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I got the call back. And then they say, all right, so we're, we're going to send you to these, this acting boot camp, and it's a three week boot camp, and you're going to learn all these things. And then you have to go to the showcase and you're going to meet these directors. I have three auditions out right now for TV shows. In December, I went to this open audition and now I am a aspiring actor model. <laughs> and it's because I took a risk and I didn't let fear stop me. I just, I owned it. I'm like, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're not going to, I'm not going to get a call back, but what's the best that's going to happen? Mm. Holy crap. I'm signed to a talent agency and I'm auditioning for TV series and movies. So good. Oh man. I, <laughs> I can't wait to see where that all leads. Uh, I know. Right. To, to represent, cause we're so underrepresented in television and media. It's only whenever there's a person with a physical disability on screen or disability at all, only 3% of those actors are actually people with disabilities. Mm. Yeah, totally. I was speaking with uh, Catherine Beatty um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, yeah, she writes for NCIS um, for CBS, 
Um, she writes those TV shows. And, um, yeah, and she was totally saying that she had such a unique um, perspective on things and it really had um, increased her chances of, you know, increased her um, skill set as a writer to have this unique perspective, um, to be able to look out into the world and see things from a different point of view. Um, and she had, you know, she she wrote this um, show about two wheelchair users um, and and the crew loved it, you know, the, the company it loved it. So accurate. She's super rad. I met her a few years ago at a wheelchair MX competition and she's a super rad chick, but it's, it's super, I think that a lot of people are just scared. They don't know how to approach us. They don't know what we're capable of. And mm. it's like, well, well, how do I know if, if the set's accommodating for this individual? Mm. And it's, if people would just let go of that fear and ask us, mm. you know, nine times out of 10, it's like, Hey, as long as I can have a bathroom, I can get into, we can figure everything else out. We can figure out stairs. We can figure out how I'm going to get up things. And it would make for it, an educational moment and, you know, it could be some. It could lead to something more by us overcoming these barriers. You know, you could record it and come out with something amazing. And totally. I, I think that if people just again take the risk, <laughs> then we could have so much more development in life. Absolutely. I mean, you just need to show them your tough mother stuff, right? And and <laughs> we're like, oh, okay, yeah, we can pretty much get you anywhere. No problem. Oh, oh, oh you're done tough mother. Okay, you can do whatever <laughs> whatever you set your mind to. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Hey, so where can people learn more about you, Jesse, and, and um, catch up with all this amazing, uh, all these amazing things you've been doing and continue to do? I am active on every social media. So Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I have a blog. It's jessestrawham.com. That's also where my store is. And we have wheelwithmefoundation.org. You can find Wheel With Me Foundation at Wheel With Me. And that's where meetups will be posted and everything that's going on on the nonprofit side. If you have any questions or want to just chat, go ahead and send me an inbox. I do my best to reply in a timely manner. Sometimes it could take me three days or so, but I do my best to reply to every single message I get. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, definitely reach out to, to Jesse if you've got any um, questions or want to explore further some of the topics we talked about today. Um, Jess, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor. I've, um, you've filled my cup today, um, so thank you so much. Um, there's a powerful um, message and lots of uh, action points from, from our conversation that I'm sure our listeners will, um, will uh, benefit from immensely. So, yeah, thanks so much for sharing. Thank you so much again for having me. I, just, I feel very, very grateful to be able to join your show. I've, I've followed you for a while on Instagram, listened to a couple episodes before, and I'm really glad to finally be a guest. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I'm, um, my apologies for, for, uh, for being so long. The last few months I've had to put the podcast aside, but, um, this year we're season two and there's going to be, um, more regular content weekly at this stage. So, um, so yeah, look out for, um, for amazing guests like Jesse, um, to follow this. There is nothing to apologize for, for taking care of yourself. And that's, that's the most important point I can make in this whole thing. Never apologize for taking care of you. That's such a fitting way to, um, to, to end. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good time. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. 
That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y dot com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.